Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and this is a short cast where we'll do just an overview, a very short overview of the book of Galatians. You'll find that in the uh, the full episode where I talk with Dr. Strathern, uh, we cover a lot of the background of the book of Galatians, so I won't go into that here. There's some great stuff that we cover, and and uh, so I'm going to try and cover here a few things that aren't covered there and uh, or highlight them in a way that we didn't highlight them in that episode and so on, and hopefully give you this bird's eye, you know, big picture of the book of Galatians that I believe will help you as you read each chapter to see how in each verse how they fit into the larger theme. So let's uh, let's start by going over the book of Galatians. We'll talk a little bit about who it's written to with Dr. Strathern, but just to, to give you an idea, um, some disagreement as to whether it's just the Gauls in particular who live in Galatia or these particular churches that Paul had visited. My guess is it's the latter. So there's some idea that they may have been uh, talking, uh, that Paul may have been talking to the Gauls in general, which is what Galatians is named after, or to those specific um, cities, Gay uh, Strathern will explore that a little bit more with us, but we know he's writing to, in general, the church in that area, and my guess would be to those cities that he had visited um, be on his first mission. And he seems to be reporting a bit of what happened at the Jerusalem Council, and we'll explore that uh, also with Dr. Strathern and the history that we gain from there. The main picture, the main point, and and we'll explore this, as I said, more in depth there, but he's uh, dealing with questions about his authority because some people have been saying that Paul, uh, that, that the saints in Galatia should not listen to Paul because Paul has been teaching that they don't need to keep the law of Moses. And that's um, that's something that really bothers Paul. And so much of the epistle will be addressing that question so in many ways, he starts out by making sure they know that he is an apostle. They should listen to him. Um, and in fact, in chapter one, verse six, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So he's saying, why are you, did you stop listening to me and the gospel you were converted to when I taught you and you're listening to someone else who's teaching you something different? He says, which is not another. So, you know, you've been called into another gospel, but it's not another. Just they've been teaching you the wrong way, as it were. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So that's what he's concerned about. And he'll spend uh, most of chapter one and chapter two talking about this issue of not listening to the people who are telling you you don't need to or that you need to keep the law of Moses. But that's going to launch him into a larger dis uh, discussion about the law in general. And I think this is particularly applicable in our day. And we touch on this a little bit with Dr. Strathern, but there's some elements we don't talk about. So if we were to jump to the end of chapter two, after the great historical stuff that, that we really elaborate on in the other episode, you would read in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. This was actually a verse that Dr. Strathern wanted to talk about a bit, but we kind of ran out of time and weren't able to, but it's important in a number of ways. One, Paul is going to emphasize that we are not justified by the law. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but rather we're justified by the faith of Christ. And there is some disagreement as to exactly what this means. Does it mean 
were justified by the the faith that Christ exercised in doing the Father's will, and uh, that doing the Father's will would would be He could do it, and that it would bring about what we wanted. Or is it the faith of Christ, meaning we have faith in Christ and what Christ did for us? And my my answer would be that it probably means both. Um, but we're going to focus on the having faith in Christ and his discussion about the law. So we're going to move down to chapter three, um, where we really get into the kind of the heart of the epistle. The first part is setting up the, that they don't need to keep the full law of Moses. But now he's going to teach doctrine about that. So chapter three, verse three, are ye so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? That's going to be his point. It is the spirit carrying the atoning sacrifice of Christ into our souls that really saves us, not anything we're doing by our fleshy or our, our bodily or our outward actions. It's what is happening inside, not what's happening outside. And what's happening inside can only happen the right way if it's the power of Christ that is doing it. Now, that doesn't mean, as we'll see, that that what's happening outside doesn't matter. But it has to start with this inside. So if we were to go to verse 5, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? All right. So his point is, when someone works a miracle, they heal you or there's a transformation. Is that because someone worked hard? Or is that by faith in Christ? And of course, the answer is that it is by faith in Christ. And he'll go on. We're going to read just a few more verses in verse 6 and 7. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And his point is going to be, and I think this is so relevant for us today, that um, as we think about obedience, covenant, and faith. It is easy. We, we know that the covenant is so important, um, but and we know that in the covenant, we promise to obey God, but it is not the obedience that will save us. And in fact, none of us will be perfect covenant keepers, and none of us will be perfectly obedient. It is impossible to be saved by the law. We're all condemned by the law because none of us keep it perfectly, but rather we will be saved by having faith in Christ and believing in Christ, and that's what, and then starting to love God in Christ, and that's what will make us true covenant keepers, and that's what will allow us then to partake of that atoning sacrifice of Christ and be changed or transformed. And you're going to find this is a theme in all of Paul's epistles. This is one of his earliest epistles, maybe the earliest, maybe the third, somewhere around there. Um, but uh, this is a theme we're going to see in so many of his epistles, whether it be Romans, Ephesians, uh, if Hebrews is by Paul, we'll see these themes in Hebrews as well. Uh, we'll come back to a, this uh, balance between covenant, obedience, faith, and grace again and again. And I'll remind you of uh, that discussion with uh, Dr. Schmidt about grace and its relationship with covenant and its chesed-like um, connotations. So, uh, and note that he's saying that it, you really are children of Abraham, or in other words, you're, you're part of the covenant through your faith. We've, we moved verse 11, but that no man just is justified by the law and the sight of God is evident. The, the just shall live by faith. So that's what we've talked about. It is because you uh, of your faith that you're justified. No one can be justified except Christ who kept the law perfectly. No one can be uh, justified. In verse 17, he says, and this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, 
the law. So it's it's the law comes, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should be and make the promise of none effect. So part of what he's trying to say to them is, look, the covenant was in place for 400 years at, between Abraham and Moses before we got the law of Moses. So clearly the law of Moses is not what makes the covenant. It's the covenant that is important. And whatever we're asked to do inside that covenant, it just follows the covenant. So don't get caught up in the law, get caught up in the essential elements of the covenant, something I think President Nelson has been trying to teach us. Uh, so if we were to uh, go down to verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And so let's think about this. We, we know that the law of Moses was designed to testify of Christ, to bring people to Christ. We see some examples in the Book of Mormon where it does just that, and it's a powerful tool in bringing people to Christ. But the the thing that happens pretty easily is people start to focus on the law, and they lose the focus on Christ and faith in Christ. And I think that's just as true today as it has ever been. I believe that often we we get caught up in the things we need to do. Sometimes we call this perfectionism. Uh, it can be called checklist, gospel, whatever you want to call it. We get caught up in the things that we need to do, and that actually detracts from our faith, and we start to, to lose faith. We start to b believe that we won't be saved uh, or that we'll be saved if we're good enough, uh, and that is always problematic, that, that we can't get caught up in the doing we need to be focusing on the being, and the being is being Christ-like because we believe in Christ and his saving power. We trust in it, and we love God. That's really the issue, and there are a lot of people who they know this in one way, and in another way, it's hard to fully believe. Uh, this is a struggle we're all going to have to keep going through again and again and again throughout our lives, so we'll keep coming back to that. Note what he says as we get to chapter 3, verse 28. Uh, well, let's start verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we talk about this all the time. We enter into the covenant of baptism. We receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It brings the atoning power of Christ into our lives. We're transformed. We're changed. We become more Christ-like. That is putting on Christ. Then there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This idea of unity is so important. And we'll see this as a theme in all of Paul's epistles. So, so important. Note that uh, the Jew nor Greek, what he's saying is everyone can be a covenant, uh, a part of the covenant, a covenant member of God's family, regardless of your race. Right? That's something that we're hearing today. Forget about race. Uh, and so on. It is regardless of race, we are one if we have really taken Christ upon us. Bond and free is an important thing for them, and, and in some areas here as well, we could maybe say rich or poor here or something. I think he says neither male nor female. That's one that's important for us today. Uh, sometimes our gender identities preclude our identities of being children of God uh, and part of the covenant and disciples of Christ, and they should not. Uh, we are one. Male or female doesn't matter, uh, and that that means don't focus too much on one or the other. Don't think less of one or the other. Don't uh, don't put uh, you know the world's ideas of one being above the other. Anything like this, that's not the lens that we should be seeing ourselves through. We should see ourselves as children of God, children of the covenant, disciples of Christ. And then note that he says, and if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. His point is, 
if you have been begotten by Christ through the covenant, then ye are really part of the covenant. That's when we're really, really covenant keepers. If we skip down to chapter four, that's what he's going to keep focusing on. So his focus, if we were to trace where we've been so far, it's it's you don't you need to trust those who are really representatives of God and they are teaching you to make the covenant and have faith in Christ and not focus on other things and get distracted by other things. And once we really have Christ changing us, then we're really children of God and children of Christ in a different way. We're all children of God, but we are in a different way when we're children of the covenant. We become in a different way children of God because we've been born again. We've been changed or transformed. And uh, that helps us to receive the true blessings of the covenant. So he's going to focus on some of that here in chapter four, especially that relationship element of the covenant being changed because we have a different relationship and we're begotten of the son and the father in a new way. So chapter four, verse six, and because you're sons or children, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So do you see what he's saying? He wants us to say we have a different relationship with him. This is when we can start to call him daddy, as it were, right? And now maybe we don't really want to do that because we want to keep that healthy respect in there as well. But the idea is that he's really your father now. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son or a child. And if a son or a child, then an heir of God through Christ. See, it's a different relationship when we're really keeping the covenant. Howbeit then, when you knew not God, so before you, when you were Gentiles, uh, or not really in the covenant, or not really keeping the covenant, um, you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. That's that's us often today. Sometimes we're just serving the world rather than God. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, so both, we know God and we're known of him in this different relationship that the covenant sets up. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Now, he's talking specifically, in this case, about turning back to focusing on the law of Moses. But this question is true, he'll ask it in a similar way in other times, when you turn to the lusts of the flesh, or you turn to the ideas of the world. He's going to ask that same question in lots of epistles. It's what we need to ask ourselves. Sometimes we are begotten of God, and then we turn back and are persuaded by the ideas of the world. And he's asking, how can you do that? We need to stop and ask ourselves right now, how are we doing that? We're all doing it in some way. In what way have you turned from your born again moments to being influenced by the world again? And if so, you're being brought into bondage, and we all are in some degree. So now what do we do about it? Of course, he'll go on to talk a lot about you're, you're doing all these things in the law of Moses, but that's not what's going to save you. And we've already discussed that. That's not what will save us. It is the atoning power of Christ uh, and our faith in him through the covenant. Um, he has, and we discussed this a little bit in the interview with Dr. Strathern, but I want to point out how we're going to see the same thing in, in the next book we uh, studied, uh, the epistle, the epistle of Ephesians. But he lists different things. When you are following the world, then you, there's uh, adultery and uncleanness and uh, hatred and wrath and strife and all these things. But when you follow the spirit, you're changed and and different things happen and you love joy, peace, goodness, and so on. And I do discuss that in the next episode, but I want us to have it here. He's trying to teach us that we are, uh, are just going to feel and behave differently when we're begotten of the Spirit. So the outward actions change naturally when we are full of love for God 
and full of love for each other, and we're being born again by the Spirit. When the Spirit is changing who we are, then we naturally just behave differently. And that's where the behavior should stem from. Yes, we do need some guidance. The law is still, even though we don't have the law of Moses, the law we have now, it's still a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We still need to know that we shouldn't um, uh, fornicate. We need that written out clearly, because when the the temptations of the world are pushing on us we need to know here's a boundary i don't cross and then since i feel like crossing it that is my signal i need to go and immerse myself in the spirit and, and do whatever i need to to have the spirit with me so that that's not what i feel like it's natural to feel like that it's the natural human in us but when we feel that and it's pushing up against the boundary god has set that is a schoolmaster to christ ah i need to come to christ now the fact that I'm feeling this shows me I'm too influenced by the world and the natural man in me. I need to come to Christ and be suffused in the spirit. So instead, I feel these other things and my behavior will follow as a result. Um, then he says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. That's just the 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 action should naturally follow. If we follow that into chapter six and there, we're almost done. But uh, I want to make sure we're seeing his major point, which is being transformed by Christ and behaving differently, feeling differently, being differently and acting differently as a result of that. But the the transformation and the being are the focus. So another element of that is in chapter six, verse one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So when you see someone who's struggling, we don't judge them. We don't say what's wrong with you. We say, how can we help? And we do it in meekness and recognizing, oh, we also have temptations. And then we get this verse two, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? So this is important for us to recognize. We covenant with God. We're in a covenant community. Uh, we uh, are all part of this uh, same covenant and that's important. That's part of why we will bear one another's burdens, but our covenant is with God. And that is the focus. We have a relationship with God and a love for God that then causes us to love others. And it is because of the love of others that we should bear each other's burdens and that we should um, try and help them come to Christ and share the covenant with them and help them stay true in the covenant. So our actions to each other should flow naturally because we are full of love. And that love comes because we're changed by Christ and we love God and we are part of a covenant with God and thus a covenant community. That's really the, the focus. And we need to remember the relationship starts with God. That's the focus of the covenant. That's who we're in a covenant relationship with. But it naturally spreads out to us loving each other and having this horizontal connection as well. So maybe we'll, we'll kind of finish up with this idea if we were to go to verse 10 of chapter 6. As we therefore have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. This idea that um, we are doing what we are doing for each other and with God because of the change in us. And that's the focus. This will help us with perfectionism to not get too caught up in this. This is part of what, as I was writing my book, um, uh, Finding Promised Blessings on the Covenant Path, I, I, I found as I was really thinking, what is the barometer of whether you're on the covenant path or not? And uh, the more I explored it, the more I recognized both in reading the scriptures and in modern teachings of modern prophets, it, the, the best barometer is your love of God and your love of each other. And I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us. We are members of the covenant. 
let ourselves be changed by Christ, come unto Christ so that he can change us to fill us with love, and then we'll just act differently, and our focus will be on doing what we feel and truly desire because of that love, rather than on, I need to get all of these things done. And that's what uh, I think Paul is, is trying to get us to see in every chapter of this and to help us to be transformed by Christ and keep that transformation, much like King, King Benjamin does with his people. We need to be transformed by Christ and then keep that transformation uh, active in our lives by continually coming to Christ, never giving up on that, never thinking we've arrived every day with our prayers and our scripture study and those things that invite the Spirit into our lives so that we can have the Spirit with us so that we are continually being transformed to be what we need to be and then we'll act how we need to act. That's the major message of Galatians. We'll explore it uh, more in depth with Dr. Strathern, but I hope that this overview is helpful for you. And, uh, and I pray that that transformation will happen for all of us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <music>